This past week, I was in Tennessee, not on a vacation, if you're wondering. I was on a senior trip with 23 seniors from Algoma Christian School. Does that sound fun, like, uh, fun to you guys? Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was fun. It was a long week, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Um, the reason why I mention that is, so I planned this message while in the hills of Tennessee uh, with 18-year-olds running all over the place, screaming and chasing snakes in the mountains. And, uh, so trying to find a quiet time uh, to meet with the Lord and plan this message was difficult, to be honest with you. Uh, but it's interesting, uh, this little, my words I had for the students uh, when I was writing them, uh, I was overwhelmed with emotion. You don't, I don't know, for me, like, you don't realize um, how big of a part some of these kids play in your life until you stop and think about it. Um, and some of those kids really are the reason why I'm still in ministry. Um, so it's a, it's a joy to be here this morning, and I'll try to stop crying. Um, but then I started crying even more while I was planning this message because I'm like, they're gone, they're leaving. Um, and they were, a, they were a solid group in our church, a real rock, a real foundation in our ministry. Um, and as many students as I've worked with over the last 13 years, that's not always the case. And uh, even though kids grow up in Christian homes or Christian schools or they go to youth group, it doesn't necessarily always mean that they're faithful to the Lord. And I can tell you this group is. And so as a church body, we should be praising the Lord uh, because it shows his faithfulness to your, your children and it shows your faithfulness as parents that you have really instilled in your kids the gospel of Christ. Um, and honestly, as a parent of three kids, that's all I want. That's all I want for my kids is that they know Christ. So let's pray again and just ask, uh, ask the Lord for guidance with this message. Father, once again we come to you and uh, just we stop for a moment. And uh, we recognize how great you are. We thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the grace that you've bestowed upon us. Uh, the ability to, to follow you. Um, Lord, the, the spirits leading in our life. We just thank you. That, that's really, that's it, man. We thank you this morning. You're good to us. Um, Lord, as we go forward this morning in your word, I pray that you would use this message. I pray, Father, that the things that are spoken uh, would be accurate to your scripture, Lord. That you would reveal things in our lives, Father, where we need to, we need to evaluate and we need to consider uh, being different. And uh, we pray this in your great name. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Galatians, we're going to look at several different passages, actually, this morning. Um, because as, uh, as I was preparing this, my objective was to, uh, to kind of sift through my mind and say, okay, what is it? If I had one message to give, uh, in particular to the graduates, and if you'll indulge me this morning, the message is targeted specifically to the graduates. However, uh, all of the things I'm going to be talking about this morning are directly applicable to all of us in this room. So I ask you to, to think this morning through some of the points that I'm going to be talking about and consider how they fit into your life. Uh, and where, where might the Spirit be asking you to, to change with these ideas? But I thought, man, if, if this is the last time I'm going to speak, really to anybody, but in particular to these graduates, what are the things that I would want them to know? What are the things I would want to tell them before they leave? And so really there were three things the Lord brought to my mind that I wanted to talk about this morning. And I'm going to be very honest with you. Um, they're simple ideas. Uh, they're profound as far as... Um, implementing them into your life, but they're simple in, in cognitive understanding. And so I'm not going to tell you anything this morning that you haven't heard before. I'm not going to uh, teach you a scripture that, uh, that you haven't heard before or that you don't even know the meaning of. Um, it's going to be a very simple message in the sense that these ideas, we know them. We, we all know them. Um, but to me, if I had one bullet to shoot in regards to a sermon, this is it. This is what I want these students to know. And honestly, this is what I want all of us to know. 
So with that said, uh, let's look at Galatians here in just a moment. The first idea that I would say to the graduates and I would say to all of us is continue to seek the approval of God alone. Continue to seek the approval of God alone. Let's be honest. Uh, we live in a media-saturated world, social media-saturated world, where there's literally industries where people get paid to give their opinions. Okay? How many of you listen to any kind of talk radio or sports talk or watch any kind of talk shows? I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And there's a show on in the morning from 6 to 10. And for four, eyes, four hours, excuse me, two guys, two guys alone spend four hours talking about sports. And the reality is there are seasons of the year where the sports aren't that interesting. There's not a lot going on. But somehow these guys manage to talk for four hours about nothing. And I'm the one sitting listening to it. <laughs> Why? Because I'm interested in what other people think. Right now the NBA playoffs are going on. Well, supposedly they're going on. It, it seems like they're not really. It seems super boring. If you, if you follow NBA basketball, out of the four teams, there's really two teams that are worth watching and those most likely two teams will be playing in the finals. Uh, the other two teams are not worth watching. So when you turn on sports radio and they, they go to talk about the previous game from the night before, they have to literally make stuff up to talk about because it's so boring. But I'm interested in it. That's the problem. I care what they say. We all care what people say. We are constantly tossed and pushed around by other people's opinions and their criticisms and their thoughts about us, about what we do for a living, about our children, about everything, where we live, how we dress. Why do other people's opinions matter so much to us? It doesn't take long, you just scroll through Facebook and everybody wants to get their point out. They want to shine off what they're doing and then they are hoping that you say something about it. Nice. They're hoping you say something nice about it. We don't really like to be criticized, but the reality is we all do it, and we all care for some reason about what everyone else thinks of us. So go to Galatians chapter 1. This first point, seek the approval of God alone. It's interesting, this passage to me is a solution uh, to our issue in society of caring what everyone thinks. Constantly being concerned about what everyone else thinks about you. And as a graduate, as a young graduate, guess what? You're going to continue to care about what people think, about what you're doing in your life and how you're living your life. And what I'm encouraging you this morning to consider is seek the approval of God and God alone. So look at Galatians chapter 1. We'll look at chap uh, chapter 1, verse 10 in particular to begin with. Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. There are three things in particular that as you continue to seek the approval of God that I would encourage you to think about. Number one, in order to seek the approval of God, you've got to develop convictions that, are going to that you're going to stand on in the face of opposition. Look at, go to uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the first couple chapters here in Galatians because I believe... What Paul was experiencing, what he was going through, is very relevant to all of us. Starting in verse 11, it says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When they saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you, were, you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So if you're not familiar with this passage of scripture or first part of Galatians, Paul hears about uh, Peter hanging out with these Jews. And these Jews in particular were saying, not only do you need to accept Christ, you also need to be circumcised. And because of the peer pressure, the pressure from these Jews teaching that, Peter went along with this and began basically saying the same thing to these Gentiles. And Paul hears about this and he says, what are you doing? You're, you're teaching a false gospel. You're not teaching something that's accurate and true. 
And so, in the face of opposition, Paul stands up and says, you're wrong. That's not right. You're not teaching what is right. Graduates and all of us, you will face opposition because of your faith. Many of you probably have that uh, go to public schools. You have secular teachers who challenge you and what you believe. You're going to continue to face opposition because of your faith. The question is, are you going to stand on the convictions that you've established in your life? Secondly, you're going to be challenged to waver from those. There's going to be opportunities where the crowd is going one direction, as in this situation. And are you going to be like Peter, who uh, camouflages his way in? Or are you going to stand out and say, I don't agree with that, I don't believe that, that doesn't line up with what the, the, the Word of God teaches me, and I'm going to stand up for what is right. And then third, under this idea of develop, de developing convictions, there's going to be times where you feel alone. There's going to be times where maybe you go into a class, a uh, secular university, and they're teaching an idea, and you're the only one that's nodding your head no. You're going to feel really alone. And that aloneness may cause you to waver in your faith. That aloneness may cause you to start to reconsider what you believe, and maybe this isn't the truth. Maybe these higher education professors are really, maybe they have the right information, and I've, everything I've been taught is a lie. I challenge and I encourage you this morning to consider the convictions that your parents have laid out and tried to teach you in your life, the convictions that this church, Kent City Baptist Church, has tried to teach you over the many, many years you've been here. Hold firm to them. Allow them to guide you into the future. And those of us here this morning, you say, I'm not a graduate, but maybe you're in a challenging situation right now. Maybe you're in a situation where you know what is right, but it, it's very convenient to cut corners on what is right in your life right now. And you're contemplating cutting those corners because it's quicker, it's easier, I'll fit in better, I might get a promotion, fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. My encouragement to you this morning is stand on your convictions. Stand on what God has given you that you know to be true. Stay faithful to him. Well, secondly, in regards to seeking the approval of God alone, Paul models this for us excellently. Be convinced that the gospel of Christ is true. Be convinced that the gospel of Christ is true. So I ask you to take a look at your life. What are the ev evidences in your life that would reflect that you believe the gospel is true? Well, let's, let's see what Paul had to say here. Uh, go to chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading in verse 11, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely per uh, persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, for I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and, to, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to uh, Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Verse 23, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. There's three things I see that come out of this, Paul's example. The evidence that the gospel is in you, number one, the gospel's changed your life. You can look at your life and you can say, man, this is who I was, and this is what the gospel of Christ has done in my life. And as some of us here this morning say, well, I grew up in the church and all I've ever known is the church and no gospel. Yeah, but the reality is there is a time in your life where you can concretely look at, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is the evidence that God has changed me. I know for me, I grew up in a church 
Christian church. I went to Christian school. I did all the right things and said all the right things and learned all the verses in Awana. But it wasn't until I was 16 where I really understood what it meant to accept Christ, to know Christ, to have Christ in my life, to have personal communion with him. And I could easily look at how Jesus changed my life from that moment on. The work of Jesus is supposed to change you. Are you different? Honestly. Are you different because of what Christ has done in your life? Would those that know you best or live in close proximity with you, would they see the effects of the gospel in your life? Do they see that you're different? Do they see that, man, something's uniquely not weird different, but good different about this person? Secondly, for Paul, this was true, the gospel is central to everything that you do. So the gospel dictates all of your decisions from day to day, uh, from big decisions to little decisions. What Jesus Christ has done on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, is central to who you are and everything that you do. It's a very easy thing to talk about. Uh, but if we're honest and we evaluate our life, I could answer no in my own life. There are many days the gospel's not center at what I do. There are many days that my decisions are very selfish and are not motivated out of what Christ has done for me. And so this is a continual reality. It's a continual submission of your heart as you go before the Lord on a day-to-day basis. And number three, the gospel continues to bring forth fruit in your life. Uh, That was the life of the Apostle Paul, was it not? When Paul changed, when God met him on the road to Damascus, when he changed, life was completely different for him. He literally threw everything he had in his life uh, to the wind, in the sense that he followed Christ. Nothing, nothing was left for him anymore. None of his ambitions or aspirations or dreams or hopes or desires were for Paul. They were for the will of God and the, the, uh, um, the giving of the gospel, to distribute the gospel, so people would know Christ. Man, I'll be honest, like, living in America, it's hard to have that perspective, because I'm really consumed with things. And I'm really consumed with what people think of me. And I'm really consumed with my pleasure and my comfort. Is the gospel continuing to bear fruit in your life? Is it going forth in your words and your actions? How you treat people at work? uh, Your ethics at work? How you treat your spouse? How you treat your children? How you interact with people here in the body of Christ? Well, thirdly, in regards to seeking God's approval only, In order to do that, you need to know whose you are. You need to know whose you are. One of the things, honestly, that drives me crazy about being a youth pastor, and forgive me, students, but is the fickleness of the age of youth and the constant asking, who am I? Who am I? It drives me crazy. And maybe that's because I'm 40 years old and I feel like I know who I am. But I think part of it is it's a cultural epidemic. It's a, it's a broken, depraved human epidemic. All of us are constantly asking, who are we, who are we, who are we? And we're so focused on us. And Paul has a very, very, very simple answer to that. It's phenomenal. When I was studying this, I'm like, that, how did I never see this before? But this is the answer. So when you look all around the world, you look through social media, and you look... Uh, every social or every media outlet possible. And that question's constantly thrown out, constantly being thrown out. Am I skinny enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I smart enough? Do I make enough money? Do I have a big enough house? Do people like me enough? I don't have to ask, answer that question if I, if I know this. Go to Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 20. God has told you who you are. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can stop asking this question, who am I? and start realizing whose you are. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. I, am no, uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So Paul breaks it down very simplistically. Who are you? You've been crucified with Christ. You're someone who's died to your old way of life. 
And Romans 6 says, you don't have to live that way anymore because now you're a slave to righteousness. Secondly, he says, Christ has taken residence in your heart. So although you live in the flesh, it's Christ who's living inside of you. It's Christ who's guiding you, who's moving you, who's helping you make the right decision, who's giving you direction. Thirdly, he says, I don't live by sight anymore. I live by faith. I don't live based on what I know and what I think I can do and accomplish in my own strength. I live based on the fact that I've placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. And fourthly, he communicates there, who am I? I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. That rolls off the tongue incredibly easy and all too familiar. And oftentimes we don't really stop and consider you are loved by the Creator. That's who you are. Man, so I'm not lacking. I don't have to worry about what others think of me. I don't have to seek the approval of anyone else because God has said, I love you, I've accepted you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you're my child, and I want to use you. So to you graduates, don't spend the first couple years of college trying to figure out who you are. You know who you are. Jesus has told you who you are. You're his. Follow him. Be faithful to him. Love him. Honor him. And stop wasting your time worrying about what the rest of the world thinks. Second idea. First idea, commit to seeking the approval of God. Secondly, graduates and to all of us, continually submit your heart to God. Uh, this seems like a pretty simplistic idea in itself, but it's a daily ritual. It's something that has to occur every single day where I go before the Lord and I say, God, help me today. Help me to honor you. Help me to give my heart to you instead of everything else. Um, every day we get up and we're challenged to give the best of who we are to the worst of what life offers. And I feel like, uh, I feel like that in my own life. Okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? Help my heart to be in the right place so I can honor you with what you want me to do as opposed to seeking what the world wants or me seeking selfishly what I want. So there's a couple things that we need to do in order to submit our heart to Christ. Number one, trust in him with all of your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a very well-known verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Uh, when I was stepping out into the world out, uh, after high school, and some of you have heard my story before, I had a very, very particular plan. I am a systemi uh, systematic person. I like plans. I like structure. I like to be able to say, we're going here, we're going to be done, and we're going to be home by this time. And being married doesn't always allow you to have that. So I've learned that I have to be a little flexible. But I've also learned that following the Lord requires me to be flexible too. And one of the biggest areas, graduates and all of us, you have to learn to trust the Lord with is your plans. Um, when I was 18, my plan was to go to college, um, to graduate in four years, to hopefully be married by 21. I was a, dating a girl seriously, rather seriously at that point and thought for sure we'd be married by around 21. And then by 22, get my dream job. That was my plan. And uh, I thought that was the right plan and so I pursued that plan. The reality is that's not what God had planned. Am I okay with that? Like, can you be okay with submitting your plans to the Lord and all these ideas and dreams that you want to accomplish, maybe they don't work out that way? How do you respond? Do you say God's left you? He's been unfaithful to you? He's, he's not fair? He messed it up? How do you respond? So for me... The plan actually unfolded this way. Uh, marriage didn't happen for another six years beyond what I had hoped it would happen. And the reality of that is because God is much smarter than me. And I was not even nearly ready, spiritually, mentally mature, to be married. And I went through a lot of heartache and a lot of dumb relationship decisions. And God grew me and he changed me and matured me as I continually submitted my life to him. But I remember there were days 
my friends are getting married left and right. I'm in all these weddings. Every summer, I'm in wedding after wedding after wedding. I'm just like, I hate you people. Everyone's getting married, and I'm like this celibate, lonely priest out in the middle of an island with no hopes of being loved by any, anything or anyone. And I remember, like, just there were times I would have it out with the Lord. Like, that's not fair, man. Like, I'm doing things right. Like, I'm, I'm being faithful in regards to purity. Come on. But man, when we try to cram our plan that we have, and we just we don't submit what the Lord is wanting to do in our life, we miss so many things. And so for those long six years past what I had planned, the Lord taught me a lot of things. And he prepared me for just the right woman at just the right time. And after 13 years of marriage, and now being 40 years old and having three, three children, I am more in love with my wife now than I ever have been. And I'm more satisfied and more pleased and more fulfilled in my marriage than I ever have been. Because I chose to submit my plans to him. Because he knows better. That's what trust is. Trust is waiting upon him and knowing he's good. Even when life doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. And a lot of us this morning, that applies to every one of us. So my journey is, I'm 40 now, right? My journey's not over because I got married. Yay, I finally won the prize. That's just the beginning. There's a whole lot more life. There's a whole lot more of God's plan that I do not see. I do not know what's around the corner. And so just as I waited when I was 21, and I trusted in him, and I submitted my plans at 21, I submit my plans now at 40. And I will at 50, and I will at 60, and I will, so on and so on. Because that's what we're called to do. Trust in him with all of your heart. Another one of my plans was to finish college in four years. And those of you that have been in my youth ministry have heard a lot of stories how that did not happen. Um, I like to say, and you guys have heard this, I crammed six and a half years into four. Um, and a lot of that had to do with I was lazy, I was distracted, um, some of it self-inflicted decisions, some of it was I got job opportunities, and so I quit school and I went and did other, other, other things. But even within that, so in the midst of that, Man, college isn't finished. Man, all my friends are graduating. They're moving on. I learned to paint. Became a residential painter. I was a manager at an ice rink for four years. Like, I learned a lot of things about life. And, and I learned a lot of things about uh, hard work and uh, a great work ethic. And working with people that were very different than me and had very different beliefs. And had the opportunity to share Christ with a lot of different people. Um, that otherwise, if I just would have went straight through college and jumped right into ministry. I might have missed some, some of those opportunities. I don't know. But again, it was a submission to the Lord to say, his plans are not my plans. And am I going to choose to follow his plans? Am I going to choose to listen when he moves, when he opens doors and op opens opportunities? Am I going to be faithful to that? Or am I going to say, God, I don't like your plan. I don't think you're moving fast enough, so I'm going to force my way to accomplish something that I want to see done. And then finally, for me, in my, my plans, my dream job was this right here. Well, not precisely here, but in the other building with the students. Um, my, job, my dream job was to work with students. That's, that's all I've ever wanted to do since I was 17 years old. And uh, it didn't happen at 22. Yeah, I got to work with students in a, in a limited fashion in a volunteer position, and that was great, and I appreciated that. But my dream job was to be a youth pastor. 22 years old. It didn't happen to 28. So for those six years, God was chipping away a lot of things that needed to be gone from my life in order to prepare me for what he had for me. And so this is where he asked me today. Um, I don't know what he has for me in the future. Just as all of us sitting here, you don't know, but are you going to trust him with all of your heart? Have you submitted your heart to what God's asking you to do? Maybe some of you are here this morning, you're like, I've got to quit my job. It's killing my family. The hours are too long. Uh, the boss is unethical. I, 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 can't, I can't be here. I need to do something else. Are you listening to the spirits leading in your life? Or are you too concerned that, well, I won't find the same amount of pay? We won't live at the same standard of living anymore if I quit. We won't have the same kind of benefits. <sighs> Heaven forbid we don't have the American dream. I don't know, I, I make light of that, but we all have that fear, right? But why? Is, it, is, it, is our, uh, our pockets, lined pockets, is that what gives us security in this world? 
man, in America, even as Christians, it sure does seem like that's what we think. My security is in my job. My security is in having that paycheck. My security is in having that 401k benefits, whatever, you, you name it. And that's bogus, man. That's absolute garbage. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him. He'll make all your paths straight. So graduates, man, think about these things. Be willing to take these things and put them inside your heart this morning. And those of us that are beyond graduation, but we're still in it, right? We're still in the marathon. We're still running. We still have things that God wants to accomplish in our life. Listen to him this morning. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Secondly, guard your heart from evil. Guard your heart from evil. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. Develop a spirit of self-control. No one else can make you choose good decisions. You are the only person that can choose to set up fences in your life in order to protect your heart. Titus 2, verses 11 and 12 say, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in our present age. Um, The students from our ministry have heard me say this a lot. And it's something I've been uh, repeating a lot in my own home. Pardon me, I have a little bit of a cold still. But one of the things I constantly tell my kids, and I tell the students, is nobody can make you have self-control. And if you know my children, you can envision me saying this to some of them. Nobody can force you. Like, I could physically restrain my child from, like, jumping off the cliff or something, right? Or, or jumping somewhere. But at some point... Like, they have to decide that they want to adopt something called self-control. Where when no one else is around, I've decided I have parameters in my life based on the convictions of the principles of Scripture that I will not cross or climb over or dig under or break through. Because God has asked me to have self-control. There's nothing in this world Nothing that can make you have self-control. You realize that? Nothing. Even our laws. You can break the laws as much as you want. Yeah, you'll go to jail, but the laws themselves are not going to make you have self-control in any area of life. There's nothing physically, no physical human being, that can literally force you to not do what you want to do. The only, only, only way you can do this is by choosing to submit yourself to Christ. That's it. And choosing to say, this heart is the Lord's heart. This heart has been regenerated by, uh, by God, by Jesus Christ. He's given me new life, new heart, 2 Corinthians 5. The old's gone, the new's here. God, help me. Help me build self-control in my life. So I, I say this to all of us, because all of us need this, but in particular, you graduates. You're about ready to embark upon the rest of the world And in some senses, you're stepping out kind of underneath the protective umbrella of your church and your family. And you have to now make decisions without mommy and daddy or youth pastor Derek holding your hands. Are you going to choose to say, Lord, I want self-control in my life. Teach me self-control. Put parameters in my life where I choose to be honorable to you even when no one else is around. I'm telling you, man, that is one of the hardest things, I think, for us as humans to get. And you can't do it volitionally or willfully apart from Christ. You have to be subjecting yourself to God daily and asking him to help you build self-control in your life. If my kids, my own kids, personal kids, if they can get that, I'll feel like I've been a success as a parent. Um, If they can understand what it means to police themselves uh, from the scripture, from the principles of scripture. Uh, So, number three, in regards to submitting your heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart, guard your heart from evil, and number three, develop an appetite for righteousness. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, O man, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. First of all, uh, this is something we have to evaluate on a regular basis, evaluating our heart. 
and asking, what does our heart long for? What does our heart long for? If your heart diet consists of habits of consuming unrighteousness, get rid of it. Be honest with yourself. Again, this applies to all of us, not just graduates. What are you feeding your heart? What are you putting in your life? Are you building things to honor the Lord? Or are you building a kingdom of selfishness and really destruction? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Set your heart on things above, not on things here on earth. So here's my illustration for this. And I want to preface this by saying, I'm not talking about this or telling you this. Um, I, I really and truly not to try to like point things to me or point direction to me. But it just, it's such an applicable idea, I think. Um, so I turned 40 in November. And based on what side of 40 you're on, you'll have different re reactions and re responses. If you're on the younger side of 40, you'll be like, dude, you're old. And that's what a lot of the students say. If you're on the higher end of 40, you're like, you're just a kid. And that's okay, I'm okay with that. So, but what happened for me when I turned 40 was I realized I didn't feel good. I felt really unhealthy, um, like I, in total honesty right now, transparency. I started getting rid of all shoes that had laces. Um, I do have laces on today, but there's a reason for that. Uh, and I started buying slip-on shoes. And I could not find tennis shoes that were slip-on, otherwise I would have bought them. And it's because like, I was gaining so much weight, I had a hard time tying my shoes. I know it sounds silly, you guys can laugh, it's totally cool, like, it's okay to laugh at me. Um, it felt a little forced, though. Um, so, so I, I was very uncomfortable with who I was. I felt, um, just didn't feel good about myself. I didn't feel, I didn't feel healthy, ultimately, what it came down to. And my wife gently and lovingly would point that out often. Um, you don't eat good. You eat a lot of what you do eat, and you eat all the time. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, I know, that's become my life. Eat my feelings. And, uh. So one of the things, you know, man, I'd eat like past midnight or whatever, and so I just, I didn't feel good. And so I realized, man, my issue was what I was putting in my body, right? Pretty simplistic to, to figure out. So January rolls around. I didn't do anything, November, December. January rolls around, and I'm like, hey, New Year's resolution. I'm going to get healthy. And I say those things every single year. I'm going to do this. And by day two, I'm like eating a bag of Cheetos, you know, and I'm not going to be healthy, right? But this year, I, I said, I'm going to do it. So January 21st came around, and I started January 21st. So I was like, all right, I'm going to stop, cut, I'm going to cut out certain foods. I'm going to, that was pretty much it. I'm going to cut out certain foods, I'm going to limit what I eat, and I'm going to stop eating, you know, like at midnight, like a, like a fat pig. And uh, I started that in January, and I like vegetables now. And... I haven't had a donut in a long time, and it's okay. And I cut out pop, and you know what? I learned I could survive without pop. <laughs> Hallelujah, amen. <laughs> we praise Jesus for no sugar. Hallelujah. Uh, my point of what I'm saying is, what we put into our heart, we assume we need because it's what we've grown an appetite for. And so if I'm, if I'm indulging in these things that I know aren't healthy, or even maybe they're not necessarily sinful, but they're just, they're not beneficial. And uh, we, we grow this affinity for them, and if I need them, I have to have them. It really does impact who you are. Spiritually, it impacts who you are. It impacts what you do with your life. It impacts how you treat people. It impacts your perspective on the world and your ability to, to really honor God and serve God with your life. And so for me, physically speaking, to go back to the illustration, like, when I started changing what I ate, and I started then even um, complementing that with exercise, I lost 22 pounds. 22, no, you don't, you don't clap, that's not the point of this. I'm just, I'm just trying, yeah, you were a huge fat cow. No, um, the point of it is, you ha I had to decide to say self-control is important, and the result of self-control is a more productive, healthy, beneficial life. And that, you know, again, I'm talking physically. But the reality is, I don't crave, physically speaking, I don't crave a lot of the stuff I used to consume. Because I changed my appetite. And I developed a new appetite. And one that I feel is, for me, better. 
Spiritually speaking, let's get to what we're really talking about. There are things most likely in every one of our lives, as you're here this morning, that are unhealthy, that we consume, that is destroying our heart, destroying our ability to have true communion with Christ. We just got done reading in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that it's now the, the, that Jesus now lives in me. Jesus is living here. He's taking residence in this life and this will. Then I should be very, very, very picky about what I choose to put before him and what I choose to consume spiritually, emotionally, mentally, with my eyes, with my ears. Students that are graduating, I implore you, consider pursuing righteousness. Consider what it means to develop an appetite for righteous things. All right, last idea. What time does this service end? I forgot. Seriously, I don't remember. How much? Two minutes? Awesome. Oh, no, that's awesome, because this point's a lot shorter. Great. Finally, so the first thing, seek God's approval and his alone. Secondly, um, I forgot the second point. Does anyone else remember it? Continue to submit your heart to God. Good, someone took notes. And thirdly, I told you I put this message together with 18 to 23 people running, like it was, I had earbuds in, I'm like, Jesus, help me with this message. <laughs> there are people all over the place. Thirdly, commit to serve God with what he has given you. Commit to serve God with what he has given you. You don't have to be a graduate to do that. Uh, you can do that now. You don't have to be 40 to do that. You don't have to be 20 to do that. You can be 80. You can be 75. You can be 55. You can be single. You can be married. You can be divorced. Uh, you can have a chronic illness. Um, you can be even frustrated with the way your life has turned out. You can still commit to serve God with what he has given you. Because, in fact, he has given you something. First Peter says he's given us everything we need for life, physical, and godliness, spirituality. In Christ, we're complete. We have what we need. Now we just need to go out and do what he's asked us to do. So go to Philippians 2 for a moment. <clears throat> and uh, a message to graduates from me would not be complete without me talking about this passage. Uh, those students that are in our youth ministry know that this is one of my favorite passages, and I often talk about it in many, many different uh, messages because to me it's, it's one of the most concrete things that we've been asked to do as a believer. <coughs> Excuse me, that was really loud, and I apologize. Sorry about that. Uh, chapter 2 of Philippians. Let's just read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any uh, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mine. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, uh, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Actually, let's read a couple more verses. Uh, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We'll stop there. Uh, we're all very familiar with this passage. And so, uh, just a couple quick things to point out. Um, service is a lifestyle. And as a believer, that's what God has asked us to do, to serve those around us, to serve him. Uh, Jesus has set a very specific example for us in three ways. First of all, uh, the heart of disposition, or excuse me, the heart disposition of Jesus was humility. Um, I've said it a million times. I think I've said it here. I've said it in youth group. There's nothing better than like, hanging out with people that are truly humble. Like, there's, as far as if I had a choice to hang out with people, any people I could hang out with, I would want to spend my time with someone who is genuinely, genuinely humble because they're enjoyable to be around, because they're not constantly one-upping you, they're not constantly comparing how great they are to how bad you are, they're not constantly talking about stories about themselves and how, how they're the hero of every story. It's like a Tom Cruise movie. He's always the hero. He's the hero. Every, every, always the great hero. I hate that. That drives me crazy. Have Tom Cruise be killed once in a movie. That'd be awesome. 
and then just ends, and everyone's like, that was the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Stop being the hero. Like, that drives me crazy, man. The disposition of Christ was that he was truly, truly, genuinely humble. Man, you cannot really serve another person unless you're going to value that their needs are higher than yours. Unless you're going to view them and really see them as better than you. It, it, according to how Philippians means that. Secondly, an example, the example of Christ, love for obeying the will of the Father. The reason why Jesus did all this, as described here, is because he loved his Father more than anything else. Love for his Father is what motivated him to go to the cross. That's amazing. Man, I, I have a hard time sometimes doing things for other people because I'm selfish. But Christ's example is love for my Father should force me or encourage me and convince me it's worth serving whoever. And then finally, his, his example was love for those he created in his image. He served us because he made us and he loves us. What right do I have to withhold what God has given me from those who need what I have? So real quick, and we'll end on this. How can I serve? Super easy. You guys have heard these analogy, this this style of analogy probably before. Number one, with your talents. So whether you are a member here at the church or you are a casual uh, attender or whether you're a graduate this morning, what has God given you that you can use to serve him? What gifts has he given you that you can use to serve him? Um, this will be a shameless plug for Pastor Ken, and he did not ask me, but man, this church is ran based on volunteers. And all of us have gifts, and all of us have the ability to serve in many different ways. Evaluate your life. Are you giving to this church or are you just sit there taking? Week after week, you just take, 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 take. If you're a part of the body of Christ, this isn't like a suggestion. This is a requirement to be on the team. Because God is giving you gifts, not for you to put them tidy in a glass case and walk by and look at them every now and then. Those are great gifts. No, to use them for the edification of the saints, for the building up of the church so that the name of Christ goes forward in your community and the surrounding communities. That's why you've been given talents. So be honest. Like, are you just sucking off the, the herd right now? Or are you doing what God's asked you to do? Being useful, serving with your gifts. Because you're needed in this body. And graduates, I don't know where God's going to take you. Uh, some of you may be taken out of state. You may be taken to a different church or, or a different university where you have to find another church. Don't be lackadaisical in finding a local, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Jesus Christ-centered, gospel-centered church where you can get involved and you can start serving Christ. I'm in college, man. I've got a lot to do. My first class starts at 10, so I don't have time to do anything. Baloney. Don't be a lazy slacker. Find a place where you can serve. Find a body of believers uh, where you can serve. Find a, maybe even an on-campus ministry that you can get involved in and use your talents. Uh, secondly, serve with your time. And uh, some of us may feel like, man, I don't, I don't have great outstanding gifts that can be used, but I got time. And we have a lot of ministries here in this church that sometimes that's all it requires is just you to show up for something and we'll have you stack a chair or whatever it is. Give your time. Give your time. And then thirdly, uh, serve with your treasure. And that's, some of us have been, uh, God has put us in a position um, to help others out financially, monetarily. And uh, I said it before, but this Mexico trip that the students are going on, like this church has rallied behind this trip. The support, financial support alone has been, un, it's blown me away. Like it's blown me away. Those, that's a great example of how uh, God has given you something and you turn around and you, you say, you know what, Lord, I want to I support these things because I see you working in this ministry. So I'll just close with these three questions and then uh, I have one final thing I want to say to the graduates. So, number one, whose opinion matters most to you right now? God? Does his opinion matter most to you or others? Ask yourself that question in all honesty. Secondly, who has your heart right now, God or the matters of the world? At this very moment, is your heart 
the Lord's. Do you know if you look all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, there's only one thing God's ever wanted. There's only one thing God has ever wanted for mankind. Did you know that? The only thing God has ever asked mankind for is his heart. Because he knows the heart is the seat of the will, the seat of the emotions. And he knows if he has the heart of man, everything else will flow from there. And it's the truth, man. It is a central operating system for human beings. So does he have your heart in all matters right now? And then finally, who are you committed to serving right now? The Lord and his work or yourself? So last thing I want to I read from uh, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, and it's kind of a, a benediction, if you will, or a, a send-off to the graduates. For Graduates, just raise your hand if you're in here, just so I can get an idea that some of you are in here. Okay, so you're basically right here. So if this was the last thing I was going to say to you, this is what I want to tell you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you this morning for coming and for listening to God's word. I pray that you found something uh, that he moved in your spirit uh, from his word that, that you can say, yeah, I need to work on this. I need God to, to change me in this. So if you'll bow with me, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that things that were not beneficial from this message, that they would fall away and be forgotten. And Lord, I, I pray that things that, would, that were productive, things that were um, encouraging, Lord, things that were, were needed, that your spirit would allow us to remember those things, implement those things, and really take steps in our faith this morning to honor you. Lord, thank you for this church body. Thank you for their love for you and for uh, the commitment that Kent City Baptist has here to, to follow you and to keep the gospel center at what we're doing. Lord, I pray for these graduates one more time. I thank you for their lives. And I pray, Father, they would, um, not just these words, but the many, many different words that have been taught to them through their parents, Lord, through the church and the youth group, Bible studies, Lord, I pray that they would hold on to the, um, the essential important things. Uh, God, that their faith would be strong and resolute in you, and Lord, that they would, you would use them uh, to really impact their corner of the world. God, we love you, and we thank you again, and we pray this in your great name.